Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right. Um, I just want to welcome John Leitzel up here. John is going to share God's word with us this morning. Um, we're excited about that. John's a dear friend. John's actually based out of the, the, the Crown Point Church named Cross Point. And so every few months, John comes up here to share God's word with us. And uh, just let's, let's pray as we open God's word together. So Lord Jesus, God, we pray this morning that your word would speak and your word would, would penetrate our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our affections. God, that you would work this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, give us ears to hear. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the, the preaching of your word. Bless John as he opens your word, God. We pray that um, your anointing would rest upon him. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to see everyone this morning. Come, go ahead and in your Bible, join me in Luke chapter 12. If you've been here at Mercy Hill recently, you'll be familiar that we're going through a series in Jesus's parables. And these are stories that really penetrate for us. But even if this is your first time or you're new here, you'll pick it up straight away because each one has its own very particular pointed message for us. And in Luke chapter 12, we find that Jesus is in the midst of teaching. He's been talking to his disciples. And there's a huge crowd of people who are coming and pressing around and trying to gather close. And in verse 13 of Luke 12, the Bible says, someone in the crowd said to him, this is somebody who's just calling out from the crowd while Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this guy says this to Jesus. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus responds, man, who appointed me an arbiter or a judge between you? And then he turns, he says to everybody in the crowd, he says, it says to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man. Fred, do we have the, the verses coming up? Great. The ground of a certain rich man provided a good crop. And this man, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, I know what to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and what? And be merry. Now, verse 20 is a surprise. But God said to him, What'd God say? A little louder. Say to your neighbor. No, just kidding. Um, God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? And verse 21, 
Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Wow. So let's do a little parable interpretation together, shall we? Okay, first question. Does this parable really need a lot of interpretation? Or is it pretty straightforward? Uh, here's a question for those who've been, been around for the last few weeks as John's been teaching about the parables. We learned that Jesus has a couple of goals in mind when he's telling parables. And John's been showing us that Jesus has two main goals in mind for his hearers. When he tells us a parable, he's hoping we're going to do two things. Does anybody remember what these two are? They start with R. First one is to reflect. We want to, he wants us to pause, to think about something that ordinarily we might just go right by because we're on cruise control. And he wants to grab our attention, get us to reflect, maybe put ourselves in the story a bit and think deeper about what he's trying to say to us. What's the other R? Reflect and, and respond. Jesus wants an action response. Parables are not designed just to give us intellectual knowledge or understanding. Jesus wants to provoke us into a response towards God. Amen? And so when Jesus tells this parable, he's trying to drive something home to us. Get us to stop and recognize that the natural way that we think and live and set our goals financially and for our lives aren't the way God thinks about it. And he's giving us a precious chance to avoid disaster and destruction by responding to God now. So let's review the parable, right? It's a quick review. Make sure we're all getting the same message here. So we've got a guy in the parable. And this guy, he's a rich man. And his primary thought is, what am I going to do with my financial success? His primary Thinking and motivation is about what do I do with what I've got, especially because it's gone well, right? What does he think the primary purpose of his financial success should be? For him, right? It's my crop, my harvest. This is for my sake, for my what? It's to prepare for my future, and so that I can have a more comfortable and secure life. That's why he says to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years, and because of that, what can he do? What can I do? Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry, and relax. So these two things, security and enjoyment. That's what my harvest is about. That's what he's saying to himself. Okay? What's Jesus' perspective? He's the one telling the story. He's the one who sets it up. Is Jesus agreeing? Jesus here, he's got God. He quotes God. He puts God in quotes in this parable. Is Jesus agreeing or disagreeing with the philosophy of the man in the parable? You're doing a good job. Work with me here, all right? Uh, These aren't really trick questions. It's pretty straightforward. So you can go ahead and be bold. Jesus disagrees, right? What does God say to the man? Come on, how often do you get to say that in church? Come on. You fool. What kind of crazy fool are you? 
thinking that's all going to be for you. Don't you even realize you're going to die tonight. Then what's going to happen to your grand financial plan? Are you seeing it? Jesus is saying the way this guy thinks is this way. But the way God thinks is opposed to the way he's thinking. So let's ask another question. We've got the way the man in the parable thinks and the way Jesus says that God sees it. And those are two different ways of looking at it, right? Are they in agreement? No, they're in disagreement. So let me ask, what's our culture say? What's the message that we're getting in the society that we grow up and live in? What's the world and society around us say? Is it more like this or is it more like this? You can point. You can point in church this morning. Yeah, folks who are sitting over here, they're all pointing at you. <laughs> the message that we're getting, the perspective of our society is just the same as what Jesus is describing the man in this parable is thinking. Right? The goal is have plenty of good things laid up for many years so that we can enjoy life, take it easy, and be secure. There's a whole industry devoted to this philosophy. And Jesus says it so perfectly because it's not a 20th or 21st century invention. It's been this way for thousands of years. The human mindset wants to find our security and our enjoyment in our possessions. And God says, we're fools if we think that way. We're living a lie if we think we can find our joy and our security in our stuff. So here's the question that it begs for us. Jesus wants us to reflect. He wants us to respond. And the question for us this morning is, who am I going to agree with? Am I going to think like the man in this parable thinks? It's so sensible. It makes a lot of sense. If I'm going to live a lot of years, I've got to have a lot of stuff. Or am I going to think about it the way God does? Which apparently means there's something more important where my life is really going to come from. And so I got to tell you, I want to agree with Jesus. I just do. I don't always find that easy. I don't mean if philosophically it's one thing to make an intentional decision to say, I want to agree with Jesus instead of what everybody else says. But in practice, it's very easy to get kind of swept along in the thinking that surrounds me in the culture. And so if you're like me and you want to agree with Jesus on this, it's going to require us to take a closer look at the context here and the rest of what Jesus is saying so we can get at the heart of why he's telling this story and why he wants us to respond the way he does. Because Jesus has an alternative to living this way, an alternative to living according to the lie of our culture that says that our life is found Our security and our enjoyment are found in having enough of the right possessions. Jesus has an alternative, and he uses this phrase to describe it. Jesus calls it this, being rich towards God. That's the life I want to live. And that's why we want to look closer at what Jesus is saying. Say, well, what's that mean? And how do I do it? Are you coming with me on this trip? Here we go. Take note of this. The parable that Jesus tells... It's an illustration that he's using to amplify the exhortation and instruction that he just told everybody. 
And he gave everybody that he's talking to, he gave this instruction and exhortation in response to a question that he got asked. So the parable is like third down the food chain in what was going on here. Back in verse 13, we saw the question. Jesus is being interrupted while he's teaching and talking about other stuff because a guy in the crowd has something so important to him, so urgent that it can't wait. He's got to take his chance to get Jesus' attention and to get Jesus to help him with what's on his mind. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, I've got to realize this. Jesus' response here is really, it's kind of backwards for what we ought to expect. Because on the surface, I mean, I interpret the guy's question, he's just asking for what's fair. Are you seeing the point? He's saying, my brother is being selfish. Probably it's an older brother who had control over the inheritance and he wasn't sharing it with the younger brother. And the younger brother is saying, how am I going to make it in my own future? My brother is basically robbing from me. My brother's ripping me off. Jesus, I need your help to get what's fair. Can I have some justice here, Jesus? And Jesus doesn't respond to this guy as though he's the victim who's being done wrong to. He doesn't respond to the older brother at all, doesn't address the older brother at all. Now listen, as a dad, if I give my older daughter a cookie, a cake or something, and I'm expecting her to share with the younger sister, and the younger sister comes to me and says, Dad, tell my sister to share the cookie with me, I'm going to be all over the older sister for being selfish. How many parents take that approach? And Jesus does the opposite. Jesus is all over the guy asking the question, isn't he? He says, why are you asking me to weigh in on your problem? Listen, you're missing the point. You're living a lie. Let me help rescue you from living what isn't life. What, Jesus? I just asked for what's fair, what's right, what's supposed to be coming to me. And Jesus' response is strongly in his face. Instead of treating it as an issue of justice or fairness, Jesus is exposing the lie of a false value system that you and I are really prone to living by, just like this guy. Jesus says this, verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus, I'm not being greedy. I'm just asking for what is supposed to be coming to me. I'm not asking for more. The greedy one is my brother who's not sharing with me. Why are you telling me to watch out for greed? Do you see why that's such an odd response? But Jesus isn't saying the problem's the older brother. Jesus is saying the problem is that you're basing your life on what you have, on your possessions. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You think your life is going to be good. Your life is going to be better. Your life is going to be more secure if you just get more of that inheritance that your brother hasn't given you. But you're living on a lie. Your life doesn't consist in how much you've got. 
and where it's coming from. Jesus is warning not just the guy who was asking the question. It's to the whole crowd that he gives this answer. It's to you and it's to me. He's saying, be on your guard against greed because your life is at stake. And it's, it's really cutting for me because apparently, according to Jesus, greed shows up in ways that I don't think are greedy. Does that make sense? Jesus isn't saying you're greedy because you want more than what's fair. He's saying the infection of greed is real in your life when you're basing your life on your possessions and aren't being rich towards God. Apparently, a preoccupation with money and possessions shows that we're finding our life in a lie rather than being rich towards God. And that's why when the man asked this question that seems to be about what's fair and just and right, Jesus responds with such a stern warning. And he's warning all of us, don't try to live to get rich this way. Be rich towards God. You know, Jesus tells this parable about a rich man, but the people he's telling it to aren't rich. Hello? He's telling the story about a rich man, but all the people in the crowd around Jesus, they're ordinary people. They're farmers, they're fishermen, they're tradespeople, they're middle class at best. And they don't think they've got a problem with greed. So it's real easy to listen to a parable about this other rich man out there and what he's doing and the way the 1% is living. But how does Jesus finish it off in verse 21? He says, this is how it will be for anyone. He's talking to all of us, folks. He is talking to us. And the warning is to the crowd, not just to the man who asked Jesus the question. And so let's ask the question a little differently. What does my life consist in? Jesus said it's not consisting in the abundance of our possessions. But how am I living? How, what is the way I'm living saying about where I think my life consists? Right? Jesus insists Your life does not consist in materialism or consumerism. Contrary to what all the advertisements say, we won't have a better life by having more things or even better quality things. Jesus implied that materialism and consumerism are reflections of an underlying form of greed. But look what he doesn't point to as the alternative. Because there's many in our culture who've discovered the emptiness of consumerism, who've discovered that a materialistic life doesn't satisfy. And so our culture will still teach us certain alternatives, but Jesus doesn't go that direction, right? Have you heard? You've got to really invest in your relationships because that's what really counts. We hear that as an alternative to just working all the time and trying to get more money and build up more money. No, you got to make sure your family's in a good place and you invest in those relationships because in the end, that's what's really going to matter. We, we say that in our society. It's socially acceptable to balance possessions by saying, you know what? I'm overweighted in possessions. I need some more in the relationship side to be emotionally healthy, relationally connected. Jesus does not go there when he's talking to this guy. He doesn't say, listen, your your relationship with your brother is more important than the inheritance. Does he say it? He doesn't say that. 
He's driving at something different. You know, and some people would find the abundance of our life, we'd find our life alternative in a different area still. Not in possessions or materialism, not even in relationship, but in our experiences. Right? Instead of thinking that the life, my life consists in the abundance of my possessions, I can try to find my life in the abundance of my experiences. That's something that's being is more and more the case in a younger generation these days. You know, 50 years ago, wasn't a big deal. Nowadays, big deal. See the world, experience many things. And I'm not just talking about how many countries we visited or getting everything that's on your bucket list accomplished. Part of the danger for us is that we can chase hard after things, even for our children, not just for ourselves, and think that our children's lives consist in the abundance of their experiences and opportunities. We can start to think to ourselves that life consists in getting to all the music lessons, to swim club, being on the traveling sports team, having the supplemental educational opportunities, because if we do these now when they're young, we're going to get somewhere further on in life. And we want to make our kids rich with experiences. Our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our experiences. Our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our relationships. Our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions. Our life consists in being rich towards God. But our culture acts as if these other big three are the only alternatives on the table. Possessions, relationships, and experiences. And maybe sometimes they'll sprinkle in a bit of spirituality. But fundamentally, it's only one option among the others. And Jesus is pushing for something of exclusive priority here. He says, over here is the only real life. It's being rich towards God. And nothing else will satisfy or suffice except if we are rich towards God. And he warns us, watch out, be on your guard. You might have a very good balance between your possessions and your money and your planning for retirement and your relationships, maybe going well in your family, you may be having good experiences, but if you miss this point, God says you're a fool. Watch out, Jesus says. So let's ask the question, how do we become rich towards God? What's it even mean? And how do we do it? Well, we've got some data here in what Jesus says. Apparently, Becoming rich towards God does not involve storing up things for ourselves. Did we get that point? This is how it will be, Jesus said, for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. It's the direct opposite that Jesus says. Being rich towards God can't mean, according to Jesus, storing up things for myself. But here's another thing that you might miss. I want you to hear this. Apparently, being rich towards God is something that's possible for every one of us to become. It doesn't matter whether you were born with every advantage or not. It doesn't matter whether you were born with a bunch of assets or a whole lot of liabilities. Being rich towards God is something that apparently, according to Jesus, can be the case for every one of us. Because this is what will happen to anyone, he says. Anyone. Are you in anyone? I'm in anyone. Thank God this is possible for me and for you, that we can be rich towards God. Whether you're a fisherman along the Sea of Galilee 
or whether you were born in Highland, the center of the universe. The, the idea of being rich towards God is in reach for each of us. That's a wonderful thing. And what Jesus implies is that if, you, if we... Let me get this, articulate this clearly. But what Jesus implies is if we don't watch out, if we're not on our guard, we'll miss the greater being rich towards God, which is available to us, chasing something that might not be available to every one of us. Because if you're going to have a life that consists in the abundance of your possessions, you either got to start good or get lucky. Working hard counts. But Jesus says, if that's what your life consists in, you're missing the real riches. Being rich towards God is where life really is. And it's available to every one of us. So apparently being rich towards God, it doesn't involve storing up plenty of things for ourselves. And that means it can't involve me finding my security in the abundance of my stuff. I can't find a real life by trying to rely on my possessions. Apparently being rich towards God involves me putting my trust in him. Somehow being rich towards God has got to be about trusting him, finding my security in him rather than my things. Listen, the, in the parable, you know, and it's funny, we talk about him like he's a real guy. And that's part of the genius of how Jesus tells the parable. Jesus made up the story. He's a fictional guy, but he could be any one of us because he's based on thousands and thousands of actual people. And he's saying here, the rich man's fundamental mistake is not in building his business. It's not in making plans for his harvest, but in building his business for himself with no thought of God at all in his planning. How many times does he use the, the individual personal pronouns to talk to himself in those three verses? Uh, it's a lot. But God's not on his list. God doesn't show up in his equation. He sees it all as mine rather than God's. And he's a fool because he thinks not only does he control those things that actually belong to God, but that actually his own destiny and life are under his control as well. And so if a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions, if we're saying, what does it look like to live a life that's rich towards God? What's it look like? It's got to involve celebrating God as my life rather than chasing more possessions. And that means it's going to involve generosity. It means that I can't just over-spiritualize this and move it out of the realm of finances. Instead, it has to have a rubber meets the road reality when it comes to my wallet and my giving and my planning. Listen, Jesus is saying, you fool to someone who wants to store up all their money for themselves. The alternative to that, being rich towards God, involves not storing it all up for myself, but being generous to give. This man was already rich before his rich harvest came in. The story that's being told in the parable is what he decides to do with a particularly good harvest, but Jesus introduces him as already being rich. And here's my point, guys. If we don't start to get free from a lifestyle that depends on its possessions, 
before we have a lot of them, it will be harder to do once we have a lot. Because by the time he's making the decision about what do I do with this great harvest that just came in, I know I'll keep it all for myself was his conclusion. That conclusion is the result of a lifestyle of building the habit of self-centeredness with his finances for however long he's been doing it as he grows his wealth. The question of what should I do should not be the question, where do I store it? Hello? It should be, where can I give it? And Jesus is telling all of his hearers, including you and me, that just trying to store it up for ourselves is spiritually bankrupt. And instead of being rich towards God, we won't die rich, we'll die spiritually bankrupt. Now, this financial aspect, maybe it's only one part of being rich towards God. I'm not saying it's the only part, but it's the part that Jesus focuses on as he's answering the question this guy is asking him. It's the part Jesus is focusing on. Whatever else Jesus might mean with the statement, we got to realize that the one point of application he's making is what we do with our money and our possessions. And he's, it drives home this question. When we reflect and respond, we're having to get to grips with this. Am I trying to find my life, by which I mean my security and my joy? Am I trying to find my security and my joy in my possessions? Or am I finding my life through generosity and obedience in the Lord himself? It's a vital issue. It's a vital issue because Jesus is standing right there. Jesus himself is standing right in front of this man. He's there in front of the crowd. And God is among them in the incarnate person of his son, Jesus Christ. And there's this man who's standing right there with Jesus, has the opportunity to look God in the face and hear whatever God wants to speak about. But he's got a, an urgent question. The thing that's most important to him is, teacher, tell my brother to give me the money. He's so concerned to get what's his, to secure his future, that he misses who's really standing in front of him. He's not rich towards God. He's missing God himself in the flesh who's right there in front of him. He says, teacher, when the God of creation is standing in touching distance from him. He's missing the moment of God among him because he's preoccupied about his security and his possessions. Are you seeing that? Brothers and sisters, if we don't get this right, we'll miss God among us. I think that's what Jesus was trying to catch the man's attention with when he says, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter among you? He says, is that how you see me? Is that what you're looking at when you see me here? You think I'm just the mediator who's going to get you what you want in this relationship? See, the man does recognize that Jesus apparently has some authority and influence. Asking the question, making this request of Jesus, shows that this man thinks that maybe his brother will, 
my brother won't listen to me, but maybe he'll listen to you, Jesus. He's recognizing that Jesus carries influence and authority of some sort. But watch this. He wants to use whatever level of authority he sees Jesus having. He wants to use that for his own benefit. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Don't miss God among you because you're so focused on getting what you want. Are you hearing it? Watch out. Be on your guard. Don't live a life that's so focused on trying to get what you think you need so that you miss the authority and reality of the sovereign God who is your life. Hello? What matters most to you right now? If God were standing, if Jesus were standing right here, if you had God right here and you could ask him one thing, what would you be asking about? It'll say a lot about where you're finding your life. Jesus is giving a chance through this parable as he speaks to the crowd and to you and me for us to respond before it's too late. For us not to wait until God says, how foolishly you've spent your life. Don't you even know you don't have tomorrow? But instead to respond to a God who comes among us and say, why don't you tell me what's on your mind instead of me pressing in what seems to matter so much to me myself. I said, Jesus himself is our life. Jesus can be our life because he gave his life for us. This is the good news, that when we're born again through faith, surrendering ourselves to Jesus, there's an exchange of life that occurs. Our old sinful life that John talked about as he was starting the meeting this morning, that old sinful life of being dead in our sins and trespasses is replaced and substituted. It's buried with Christ in baptism so that we can live a resurrection life in Christ. Jesus came from heaven to earth. God came in flesh as a human just like you and me, tempted just like we were, but he never sinned. And he took his perfectly obedient, righteous life. And he went to the cross and he made it a sacrificial offering for us to substitute his righteousness for our sin. Peter describes it this way in 1 Peter 3.18, where he says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous one, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and me, to bring us to God. And when you and I surrender our lives to him, a wonderful exchange occurs. He gives us his life in return. And we're crucified with Christ and we don't live anymore just in ourselves, but Christ lives in us. And the life that we go on living in this body, we live by faith in the son of God who died and gave himself for us. I, and in that context, I find it really interesting that Jesus uses the phrase of being rich towards God rather than describing it in some other way. He doesn't point us towards being focused on how rich we already are in God or all the riches that we have in God through Christ. He's putting the emphasis very pointedly on the Godwardness of our own lives, that our lives are inclined towards, focused on, focused all around God himself, being rich towards God. And I want us to see as we wrap this up, just in verse 22, the next verse, the connection that Jesus makes for you and I, 
for those of us who follow him. It says in verse 22, next verse, right? Back to verse 21. It says, and this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, is that connected? Right? That verse, the next thing Jesus is saying, it's connected to what he just said. Luke puts a therefore in there. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Can I just tell you, brothers and sisters, when you, when you find your life in Jesus, when you're giving yourself to a radical obedience and following Jesus, living a life that's rich towards God, we don't have to worry about our life. In fact, if our lives are filled with worry, it's probably because we're living in this kind of effort to find our life in things that aren't life rather than actually finding our life in Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. It's a precious, precious reality he's talking about. But it's directly connected to getting this right. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is more than food. Your body, it's more than clothes. Listen, don't worry about those things. If you're rich towards God, it's not a worry for you anymore. Just look down in verses 29 through 34. As Jesus continues, take some time to read the rest of this discourse later this week. But he gets to verse 29, he's saying the same thing again. He says, and do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things. This is what you're surrounded by at work. And when you turn on the television and when you're trying to look up something on a web page and you have to go through an advertisement to get there, The pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, verse 31. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Can you just... Just take that sentence. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you see who God is in that sentence? He's a shepherd. Because we're his little flock. He's a father. Your father is pleased to give you what? He's a king who's giving us the kingdom. Provide, sell your possessions. Oh, look, action point. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Living a life that's rich towards God puts our hearts securely where no thief can get near them, where nothing can destroy it because our treasure has already gone ahead. The foolishness of this rich man is to plan for his retirement without planning for eternity. 
It's so short-sighted just thinking about retirement. Hello? If you think that's long-term financial planning, you're missing eternity. Jesus is saying, store up your treasure in heaven. You've got the wrong barn. Store your treasure in a better barn. Are you seeing what Jesus is saying there? So you don't have to worry about it anymore. There's always a worry about the stock market. There's never a worry about the economy of heaven. Don't worry, little flock. Your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. The alternative to living a worrying life is to be rich towards God by seeking first his kingdom. The possession-driven life is worried-filled. And ironically, freedom from worry is found in a faith-filled generosity. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that won't wear out. It's found in a faith-filled generosity as we live out a reality. What Jesus is showing us, he wanted us to reflect in this parable and realize that the, what we think is reality, that we're basing our life on, isn't the real thing. The real thing is this. Being rich towards God is where life really is. Jesus himself is our life. And being rich towards God appears to be in Jesus' mind parallel, maybe equivalent to seeking first his kingdom. So I want to urge you this morning, live confidently for this kingdom. Live confidently to see the name of Jesus lifted above every name. Be radically obedient to him and be confident and generous as you seek his kingdom because he's pleased to give it to you. Instead of storing up more and more money, because you're worried about your future, store it up in heaven where it's truly secure. Provide yourself with a secure treasure by giving generously, living radically for Jesus because the king of the kingdom is your father. He's a good shepherd. Can we stand, pray together? Lord Jesus, as we contrast the realities that you show us from the things that just seem to make so much sense to us from our upbringing and our culture and things. God, we want a conversion in our mentality this morning that we would no longer rely on or find our life in our stuff. Help us, Lord. It's so tangible. It's so close to us. It seems to be the answer to our worries and our fears and our hopes and our dreams. Jesus, we affirm together this morning that you're the real one who is our real answer and our real life. And we want to live for you alone in your precious name. Amen.